Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes a piece of pop culture, strips it down, and reveals the real history behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, we're talking about Marvel vs. DC. I'm looking at all of comics, not just a comic, which means... With regret, we're going to have to touch on a really horrible subject of neo-Nazism. We are also going to have to look at what we can learn from organizations like Yamaha, Wilkinson Sword, and Kodak, and how all of that can be thrown back to the world of comic books. But the thing that links all of this together absolutely has to be Charles Darwin and the most famous theory in the world. So let's get on with this then, shall we? But before we get started, don't forget, click subscribe, leave a review, all helps to spread the neon word out there, people. If you want to have a conversation with us, don't forget neonpodcast.com is the official website and Neon Podcast is both the Twitter and Facebook name. Say hi, we'd love to hear from you. So let's go back to, the, well, let's start with the last thing I mentioned, Charles Darwin. And of course, I'm talking about the theory of evolution here. Now, it's worth pointing out that when you get to a scientific theory, you know, some people throw it around, it's only a theory, it's not a real thing. No, that, that's a term that's being used. It, it pretty much has been proven to have happened and explains an awful lot of things. Everything from dog breeds to something like, why do we now have antibiotic-resistant bacteria out there? Okay, but the point is this. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution has been much abused over the years and misunderstood. And there is this idea of business Darwinism, and it's all about survival of the fittest. And can you hit the other guy before they hit you? And it's 
pretty unpleasant stuff, actually, and isn't quite what Darwin said. He didn't say it was about survival of the fittest or even the strongest. He said it was survival of the most adaptable species. That's the critical thing that needed to be taken into account and is quite often forgotten about. What has any of this got to do with comic books? Well, I'll tell you. In general, if you're a bit of a comic book nerd, I'm putting my hand up right now, by the way, then you know that quite often you get different eras in comic books. But to share those with you, or at least prove I know what I'm talking about here, they tend to be split into four main areas. You've got the gold, silver, bronze, and then modern, okay? The golden era of comic books was the 1930s when you started to see the first comic book superheroes and detective comics got there first with the likes of Superman and Batman. Okay. And that goes past World War Two to a few years after that. And then we get to the Silver Age, which is the 50s to the 70s. And that's when we start getting Marvel jumping in there. And I'm not going to get into the problem when as soon as we start talking about the origins of Marvel and DC, it gets complicated because they grabbed other brands and other companies were in there as well. So exactly who started what and what's the origins, etc. But some people think that Stan Lee is the founder of Marvel comics. He wasn't. He was a creative force. He was a writer. And him and Kirby managed to create some of the most famous superheroes out there, be it the Hulk or Spider-Man or Fantastic Four. But the point is, all of this was evolving in the Silver Age. And at that stage, Marvel was seen as being ahead of the game compared to DC because, well, the, the very first supergroup is the Fantastic Four. And the Fantastic Four, you actually had adults kind of arguing with each other and being, you know, not quite as clean cut superhero-y as something like Superman. It is worth pointing out in the very, very early days of Batman, things are quite often rewritten in comic books to make them more palatable or to fit in with new reboots or reshapes of, of certain characters. This is called retconning. And Batman's a really interesting one because we all know that the one rule Batman has is he doesn't kill people. Uh, but interestingly, in the very early Batman comics, he was a police officer. He was Bruce Wayne, but you know, police officer by day, Batman by night, not a billionaire playboy. And he actually carried a gun. Um, so that's something that you perhaps don't realize. And indeed, in the early comics, he did occasionally kill, but not in a particularly graphic way. The other thing is uh, we all know about Alfred the butler and how he's been part of the Wayne family for generations, helping him to raise Bruce after the death of his parents. None of this was actually in the early comics, but here's the interesting thing. When you get to Alfred, when he's first introduced, he's not this wiry old man. He is still British, but he is a sort of chubby guy. And actually, he turns up in Gotham City and he's constantly being chased around by these bandits and bad guys and robbers. And Batman and Robin come in to save him. And it turns out that his suitcase has a map to the crown jewels in it or something like that. So they've never met before. This shows you how much these stories have changed and indeed evolved into something more satisfying. But the thing about all this is we are fundamentally talking about businesses, okay? And if if you don't adapt to business, 
then something bad happens. And this is where I want to mention Yamaha, Wilkinson Sword, and Kodak. Because I think they're interesting examples. We can learn from these brands. And all of these brands started, well, Wilkinson started in the 1700s. Yamaha and Kodak started in the 1800s. Okay, we are talking about properly old brands here. And you don't survive for more than a century, or in the case of Wilkinson, more than 200 years without spotting trends in the marketplace. Because if you always sell what you sold, you don't necessarily last. There are a few exceptions to that, but only a few. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the slightly disappointing one now. Wilkinson Sword technically was not actually a sword manufacturer. It was started in 1772. That's before America was a thing, everybody. And yes, it's still a company. And they dealt with steel products. They did produce bayonets, but they also produced guns early on. And Wilkinson Swords is a North England company. But then over the years, pretty much anything made out of steel, they had a crack at you can buy a Wilkinson's typewriter. And in the very early 1900s, they even made motorbikes. But what they discovered is that, you know, other companies were simply better at mass producing some of these things than, than what they were able to produce. And so they ended up going into the razor blade marketplace relatively late in their company's history. And that's where they stayed. And so if they, if they're just stuck with bayonets, I don't know, maybe they would still be producing bayonets for the British army, but probably not by now. Uh, but because they were willing to try different products, new products, they lasted. They, they, they sort of stuck the course. And that's how a company founded before America was founded is still an international going concern in the 21st century, which I find pretty remarkable. Then let's go to Yamaha going to play a little game with you on the podcast here. I'd like you to think of a product that Yamaha is famous for making. Done that? Good. I'm going to say you either thought of musical instruments, probably a piano, or motorbikes. Now, you're right, by the way, they, they make both pianos and motorbikes, but there is no way a company started that way. You can't be a piano slash motorbike manufacturer. That's not a thing. So I now play the round two of this game. Which one do you think came first? Made up your mind? Not allowed to fast forward? Okay. Now, here's the thing. If you thought to yourself, well, probably it was some sort of early motorbike, and Jem did already mention motorbikes with Wilkinson's, I get your point on that one. Obviously, we're talking about heavy industry here. Surely that's easier to set up and build from there and then move into something a little bit more ornate than the musical instruments. Absolutely logical there. But actually, it was the musical instruments that came first. What you've got there is a company that's good at mass production. And here we've got to mention World War Two. And because Japan was so severely damaged and there was a need, there were less need for pianos and more needs for two stroke engines after World War Two, that that's what happened. And indeed, Yamaha today is actually several different companies, but it all originates from this original musical instrument manufacturer. And if you look on the side of a motorbike, you'll see the Yamaha logo and three little spikes sticking out behind it. Those aren't spikes, those are tuning forks, and it's harking back to the early days of the company. Well done, Yamaha. 
And then we come to Kodak. Uh, you know, as we were all growing up, Kodak was one of the coolest companies that you could all be in, involved in. And, you know, the Kodak Smile and all these kind of things. And they, you know, this was founded in 1888. This is a, a long old uh, heritage going on there. So, with that in mind, obviously everybody associates them with photographic film. And you know what? That's how photography worked when Kodak was first launched. And fast forwarding a hundred years. So we're now into the year 1988. That's exactly how Kodak worked. Indeed, by then, Kodak had created the disposable camera. Do you remember those? Where you would perhaps go on like a school trip with one of them. And if you lost the camera, it was annoying that you lost the pictures, but it, you didn't lose an expensive camera. And after taking sort of 25 photos, you then took it to snappy snaps and got them developed and then saw that you had your thumb over the lens the entire time. But anyway, that's, that's your problem problem, not Kodak's problem. So what Kodak quite rightly did year after year, just like the Wilkinsons and Yamaha of this world, is they invested in research and design. They understood that if they stood still, let's face it, in 1888, photography involved you holding up that kind of flash pan, which did that huge puff of light, which sometimes set fire to things. Not good. Let's come on to sort of flash bulb technology. Much better. And you actually had glass plates for photography in 1888. So they were the ones who started to create, well, as other companies did as well, to create flexible photographic film. So they put their money into making photography better, because that's the way it had worked for more than a 100 years. But Kodak, like a few other organizations and a few other industries even, didn't spot the digital revolution until it was too late. Now, Kodak did get into digital photography, but by then, pretty much everybody had a smartphone. And nowadays, you might not think twice of, this is a delicious meal, so I'll do a quick snapshot, stick it on Instagram, see if people like the look of this dessert. Mmm, isn't that a delicious fudge cake? Well, in 1988, if you wanted to take a photo of your fudge cake, you had to take a photo of it, finish the rest of the film, take it to Snappy Snaps. Fastest development would be uh, one hour, and that would cost quite a lot. Uh, so let's say you do go uh, spring for the one hour development. Uh, you then get the photos back. You then have to pop them in the post to all your friends, so they would probably get them two days later later after you've actually eaten the fudge cake. And that would be weird. Nobody did that in 1988. But in 2018, 30 years later, that's a thing. That's People do that quite regularly. There are entire Instagram and Pinterest pages just purely on photos of food. But in the words of George Bernard Shaw, there is no more sincere love than the love of food. But the interesting thing is Kodak spotted that they were beginning to struggle in the 1990s, but they just didn't know how to change and what direction to go in and exactly how to jump onto this digital bandwagon. And so, sadly, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2012. It still exists. The brand is still out there. It's actually now Eastman Kodak Company. I won't get into the te technical nature of it, but it's still a thing. But when you were a kid, Kodak was a big deal, and it isn't a big deal as a brand anymore. It's still a brand, but it's no longer a world beater. So some companies go the way of Kodak, and some companies go the way of Yamaha. And you don't know which ones to necessarily put your money on.
what's any of this got to do with the wonderful world of comics? Well, comics themselves had to evolve over the years. I'd got to the 1970s, but then from 1970 to 1985 is called the Bronze Era. And the Bronze Era in comic books is a little bit like um, the Kodak era later on, in the sense that comic books were struggling to find a way to make money. Because do you know what? Since the Golden Age, the thing about the 30s to the 50s is, yes, there was radio. But if a kid wanted to sort of see their heroes, TV really wasn't a thing. You had to go to the cinema or you could carry around a comic book. And the reason why it's called the golden era is because comics ruled the world. Now, the silver era was also pretty good. But if you're talking about from 1950 to 1970, you are getting the rise of home TV. Of course, cheap TV shows couldn't possibly show you the epic clashes as demonstrated in these comic books. So in a way, comics were safe. But as the years progressed, more color TV and you get things like Superman, the movie in the 1970s, we're starting to see other forms of entertainment catch up and indeed outdo comic books. So what's interesting is that in 1984, there is this, just before I tell you what happened in 1984, no, it's got nothing to do with George Orwell, I hasten to add. I don't like the kind of abuse that you get between DC and Marvel. Even my sister has or is, a, is an acolyte towards one rather than the other. Interesting, the rest of her family likes the other one. But the, here's the thing. Can we not just agree that these, these are fun stories? I mean, you can start talking about how almost every single Marvel character has in some way riffed on DC characters. Like, you know, this year, 2018, we got Infinity Wars and finally we get the big bad Thanos turning up. And I bet a lot of people think, well, Thanos is clearly a brilliant idea of a hugely powerful sort of alien entity. Oh, and what's this dark side thing that DC have? Well, that's clearly a ripoff of Thanos. No, it's the other way round. The amount of times where DC came up with an idea and then Marvel jiggled it around and did their own version of it. So, yeah. Uh, if you want to talk about copying and all that kind of stuff, that was going on. But it wasn't it wasn't disrespectful. And Marvel always, always put their own spin on these things. I mean, if you want to just look at Iron Man versus Batman, stop me when you know which one I'm talking about. So it's a billionaire who's deciding to fight crime who doesn't have a mother or father anymore, who has lots of tech to help them fight bad guys. They have no fundamental superpowers apart from the fact that they have all this tech and an almost unlimited bank account. See, I say all that and you still don't know which one I'm talking about. Here's the, here's the kicker. And they have impervious armor. There we go. Iron Man rather than Batman. All right. So I don't think that you need to get het up about Marvel and DC. You can read something like Planet Hulk, which is easily the best Hulk story ever. That's from the modern era. It's not from the Silver or Bronze Age or anything like that. That's from the modern era. It's an amazing, remarkable, re not so much retelling of the Hulk story, but repositioning of him, which you got glimpses of in Thor Ragnarok. But really, it's an amazing graphic novel to to have a look at but then you get something like i don't know the killing joke the the greatest joker story ever which was turned into a slightly bad animated movie last year 
but it, that is a super powerful uh, what sort of one shot it's not not long enough to be considered a graphic novel as uh, a prestige edition comic which has remarkable brian bolland um artwork in it and is a very very potent powerful very adult story about the joker so yeah i mean you, you can read both you're allowed to read both it's fine you don't have to pick one over the other you know dc tends to be darker nowadays it's darker than marvel back in the 1960s the x-men were an allegory for the civil rights movement in fact that everybody hated them and they just you know the mutants wanted to get equal rights with human beings they were seen as threatening by the average human you know it doesn't take much to do, draw the dotted lines there so give both sides some love and yes fine right now marvel's winning in the cinema but that doesn't denigrate the stuff that dc's done in the past more on that in a moment but i want to go back to 1984 you know perhaps a a golden spot for neon because everything was colored neon in 1984 okay but what's interesting then is that warner brothers is the parent company of dc that's why all the batman and superman movies and dceu is all sold through and produced through warner brothers okay but in 1984 they realized that dc just wasn't selling very well the comics weren't doing very well because by 1984 people had other things to spend their money on kids were playing video games Kids were watching videos of something like Return of the Jedi at home. They could go into the cinema and see lots of cool movies. Comics by 1984 had lost their luster. And so what they did is Warner Brothers actually offered DC to Marvel, who they believed had the superior management and would be able to sort of take ownership of the DC products and make money out of them. But here's the interesting thing. Marvel didn't think that they necessarily had the better management. They genuinely thought that the reason why it was failing was that their characters were a little old fashioned, that things like Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, nobody was really interested in those things anymore. A little ironic when you look at today. You could argue that Superman's a little old fashioned. But yes, in 1984, there was actually an opportunity for these companies to unite. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. But here's the thing about evolution again with the world of comic books. Comics were selling millions of copies in the golden era. In the Silver Era, they were doing well too. But what they needed to do is get more revenue streams. And back in, let's say, 1965, they didn't have an opportunity to put the stuff online. Nobody wanted to make a a TV series. They didn't have the budget to make these things. The best they could come up with is 1966 Batman, which was lovely to little little kids and to older people. It was funny, but it and it was a huge hit. But it you couldn't do that with every superhero. So yeah, they were running out of ways to necessarily milk the cash cow. They needed to generate more money, and so we have comic book advertising, which is a weird world in its own rights. Because if you have ever picked up a comic book, a real comic book, not the sort of like re-edited graphic novels or collections from the 1960s or 70s, sometimes even from the 1950s, they have a truly unique collection of adverts. You are not going to get an advert for Coca-Cola in it. And certainly you're not going to get a an advert for Ford cars because children can't drive. Instead, if you know what I'm talking about, or if you can guess what I'm about to say, you, you've you got these old comics. You would get adverts for hostess trolley confections, which if you are a British kid, you could not buy Twinkies in Britain in the 1970s or 80s or 90s. Nowadays, there I've noticed you can get a little specialised aisle in Sainsbury's where you can get Twinkies. Twinkies, hostess trolley, notice I'm promoting Twinkies here. If you wish to send Neon some Twinkies, I'm your man. But what I find interesting is they are so in in dripping in Americana that you get things like Ghostbusters mentioning, you know, well, if you see this Twinkie as a normal amount of psychic activity in New York, what we're looking at coming up is a Twinkie that's sort of 20 feet long and seven feet high and weighs 300 pounds. And well, that's a big Twinkie. It's like, as a child, it's like, I, okay, I, you've now shown me what a Twinkie is, but I'd love to eat one of those and I can't in Britain. So you'd get Hostess Trolley apparently showing that all these are, there are other products available other than than Twinkies, but that's the one I ended up getting obsessed with as a child. So yes, yeah, so you they're trying to sell you sort of treats, or or the other thing is those amazing inventions for a dollar. You know what I'm talking about. Perhaps the two critical ones, and both were created by Harold von Braunhut, is Sea Monkeys and X-ray Specs. For one dollar, you could buy x-ray specs which were these huge big plastic specs which had clearly written on them x-ray specs and they you could see the bones in your hand look through people's clothing this was all claimed in the adverts insane according to advertising regulations now 
do you know what? For one dollar, it didn't actually have some kind of X-ray development isotopes in that. But that would be a little bit expensive and staggeringly dangerous to children. So X-ray specs did not work. What they actually were was a piece of cardboard with a hole punched through them and a feather put there. And because you look through the feather, it kind of blurred what you were looking at. So if you ha- held up your hand in front of your face, because you had these sort of two slightly weird images overlaying. If you squinted, it kind of looked like you were seeing through your hand, sort of. The effect wasn't very good. Yeah, I bought a pair. Um, but the other thing, and as for the the clothes, you certainly couldn't see through clothes. But it was interesting that when you put the glasses on, so you'd sort of freak people out. You know, you, you, you I, I remember one one woman. You know, I was about eight when this was happening. This one woman suddenly sort of clutching her dress to herself. It's like, well, if technically if these are X-ray specs, that wouldn't change. And you know what? For one dollar, it was slightly more in British pounds. Uh, you couldn't get it. Yeah, it was clearly not going to work. It also had X-ray specs written across it. So yeah, everyone was warned of your potential superpowers. But sea monkeys. I also got sea monkeys. And what sea monkeys are? You might be saying, what, what? What? What's a sea monkey? So what you did is you got this tiny little aquarium. It was maybe 15 centimeters high. It was perspex and you could see through it. And it had three little blobs, which acted like magnifying glasses. And it had a little base, which sort of looked like the sort of surface of the moon. It was colored quite often red. I think you could get blue ones as well. Okay. And you had packet one and packet two. And what you did was you put packet one. So you filled it with tap water. You put packet one in. And the idea was that that purified the water. And then you put packet two in uh, a day later. And obviously, as a child, waiting a day was that was killing you. And then, as soon as you put in packet two, you got you got to see these tiny little little organisms floating around. You just created instant life. Now it turns out it didn't quite work that way. It turns out packet one uh, wasn't just purifying the water. It actually had the eggs of these things called brine shrimp in them. And what packet two did is it added a, just a tiny little bit of coloring to the water, blue, I believe, uh, which allowed you to see through their, their transparent bodies. So it had a, an, a day to hatch and be there. But yeah, you then had brine shrimp, which are tiny little crustacea. They're I guess they're kind of like krill. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in brine shrimp, but what happened is this guy called Harold von Braunhut sort of spotted these things and recognized that, you know, kids like pets and these brine shrimp were actually being sold as kind of fish food to everything else. And what's unique, or not actually unique, but one of the things about brine shrimp is they basically, you can dry their eggs and then all you do is add water and there's no ill effect to the actual creature. The creature will then hatch. There's a very technical name for this, which I've now forgotten. But the point is, it's the perfect thing to just be sent in packages. It's, you know, this causes no trouble whatsoever. You can't send a goldfish in a package. And the brine shrimp, as you, uh, they did actually grow. I'm going to say they probably maximum they ever got to was maybe half a centimeter in length, but they they grew up to that size. And mine lasted for years. They kind of ate off the algae that was part of this thing. They sort of were a self-sustaining little biodome for, I'm going to say, for at least a year. The weird thing is that when you switch the lights off and then switch them on again, you know, let it go dark for a while and switch them on again, they kind of spin around. I had a number of people who said never worked for me. Mine worked really well. But I said earlier on I was going to end up in the world of of um, neo-Nazism, and 
this is the sad story behind Sea Monkeys, because Harold von Braunhut, well, as the name suggests, he's German, but he wasn't. He was an American Jew. And he put the von into his name deliberately so he would sound less Jewish. And for some reason, he became a self-hating Jew and joined uh, basically a racist, neo-Nazi, Aryan-type organization. He, the money that I might have spent on X-ray specs or sea monkeys might well, well, definitely went to his company, but that might well have been donated to a neo-Nazi organization, which is horrible. Yeah, sea monkeys still exists. Harold died, for the record, years ago. Um, uh, actually, uh, I'll, I'll tell you when he died. It was 2003. So he's he's been gone for about 15 years. So, uh, okay, so the money isn't going to any crazy organizations. But it's weird. It's almost like there are two Harolds. Because he actually put in... Uh, actual, he actually went to a patent office and he put in several patents for some of his designs around sea monkeys and some of his other things like x-ray specs. He clearly loved entertaining children and he was obsessed with advertising in these comic books. There wasn't basically any comic books from Marvel or DC in the 1970s or 60s that didn't have sea monkeys in the back. And the, the wonderful pictures were there to sort of inspire you. And yes, you can argue that this is almost, we're back to P.T. Barnum where they promise one thing and deliver another another but it clearly worked because he kept advertising and the company was successful it was financially solvent and is still going you can still buy sea monkeys although you don't necessarily get the adverts in the back of magazines anymore but yes sadly while this man seemed to love children seemed to love the idea of tinkering around and creating new toys and new experiences for children he had deeply uh, suspect and offensive views on on race so yeah you, 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 it, it's confusing, isn't it? You, 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 it, it, that's the interesting thing about history. Okay. There are very few sort of clear cut, just bad guys. And there are very, probably arguably even fewer, just clear cut good guys. We're human beings. We have our own weird frailties and opinions and points of view. And as far as I'm aware, Harold never actually harmed anybody. But yes, just, you know, there is video footage of him under a pseudonym saying some horrible things about race and purity and things like that. You know, I'm saying purity with inverted commas around it. So, okay. The other thing I, I mentioned is, you know, going back to this whole evolution thing, so we we come to 1985, and that's when we get the modern era. The, the comic book industry realized they were going to keep producing what they've been producing for the last 10, 15 years. They're running out of, you know, storylines. And suddenly you got this shot in the arm, and DC got there first, these super adults, super interesting concepts. Perhaps the two great pillars of this is Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns, the story of Batman as an old man who'd retired after Robin had been killed by the Joker, who is so tortured by his quest for vengeance that he comes back again. And he's a brutal vigilante this time round. Watchmen, seminal. It's the only comic that went into the Time magazine's top 100 books of the, of the 20th century. That was the only comic book there. It got turned into, I'm going to say, an underrated movie. I think it's pretty good. Um, but 
you can think what you want about that. Um, I, I think it is quite an impressive movie. But anyway, so suddenly we got something with mature content. I mentioned earlier the killing joke as well. And, and you know, there's Batman cult. There are just all these interesting, there's Swamp Thing as well, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. I, look, I could go on and on and on. But suddenly there was a reason. So the people who might have gone away from comics, there was a reason to lure them back again. But that wasn't the only way comic books were evolving. I just want to show you just very briefly how silly comic books got in the Bronze Age. In the 1970s, you had Superman fighting Muhammad Ali. Now, it was under like a red sun, so Superman didn't have his powers, and Muhammad Ali actually beat up Superman, because let's face it, he's a prize fighter and Superman isn't, and without his superpowers, he's, you know, he's not going to beat the world heavyweight champion. But that's kind of silly. There was another horrible, I mean, you know, they were, they were trying to make a statement, it didn't work, but Lois Lane actually was turned into a black woman, and uh, yeah, to sort of find out more about what it was like being a black woman. And okay, it was trying to say something, but then she couldn't wait to be turned back into a white. I just, you know, it. Okay, guys, this is weird. This is getting weird. Also, you have something like G.I. Joe, which, um, this is interesting. In America, uh, in the 1980s, there was a very strict limitations on how you could advertise, um, uh, TV, uh, on TV to children toys okay there was limitations to this stuff to stop nag factor but what the creators of gi joe worked out is there were no limitations about advertising comics so gi joe went to marvel and said we're we want you to create a gi joe comic book and we're going to promote it on tv at which point it's a complete no-brainer for Marvel to say yes. And the G.I. Joe comics lasted for years. And the amount of toy tie-ins to comic books is huge. There was a long-running uh, series of Transformer comic books. You know, this wasn't a hard sell. And if, obviously, if the kid plays with a toy, the kid might want to learn the stories. But then you have the Saturday morning cartoons of both G.I. Joe and Transformers, huge hits for their time, which sort of took the edge off the comic books. So you do see this attempt to evolve and sort of struggle with the fact that they're a print media and that's as far as they can really go. But now we come to the I mentioned the modern age, but I'm now talking about the 21st century, where I have an app on my phone where I can download comics. I don't have to go to a comic book store or wait for it to arrive in the post. You can have a subscription and just try and get through as many comics as you want. But suddenly they got all this, these comic books that they can just, in essence, scan into an app and charge money for. And suddenly we don't have the distribution. Suddenly the printing costs go down dramatically. But of course, the ultimate is now we have big budget movies. And thanks to things like CGI and bigger budgets, they can now show on the big screen what's been in comic books for 50, 60, 70 years. Some of them are undeniably better than others. And as I said, you know, the Iron Man came out in 2008 and it was a Marvel movie. But shortly after that, Disney bought Marvel. So Disney owns uh, owns. Marvel owns Star Wars, owns Raiders of the Lost Ark, obviously owns Mickey and everything else in that franchise. So Marvel, uh, so Disney pretty much owns your childhood, except for the DC bits, but that's owned by Warner Brothers. And whereas there's only been one good film from the DCEU that everybody went crazy for, Wonder Woman, let's not forget the same year that Iron Man came out is the same year the Dark Knight came out. And as good as the Marvel Universe is, 
I dare you to go back to The Dark Knight with that amazing Heath Ledger performance and go, yeah, that's not as good as the quality of the Marvel stuff that's been coming out. I'm going to say Marvel pretty much consistently does four-star movies. They're all great fun, but they're not five-star movies. And then you get something like The Dark Knight, which is undeniably a five-star movie. It's 10 years old. It's still amazing. It still looks stunning because there's very little CGI in it. You know that famous scene where that articulated lorry flips over, that, you know, that juggernaut flips over? They did that for real. That's not CGI, and that's why it looks so amazing. So, yeah, you know, DC and Marvel both have their strengths, both have their weaknesses, but both have had to evolve. And so now a company... Marvel, which was in financial difficulties 30 years ago, is now uh, a part of one of the biggest entertainment uh, uh, corporations in the world. And when a Marvel movie comes out, it's a cultural event. How long that lasts, I don't know. Recently, James Cameron, who's obviously going to be coming out with his Avatar sequel, said, I hope that people get superhero fatigue. And when you look at Westerns, when you look at World War II pictures, when you look at any genre films, there is a point where people go, I think we've had enough. The Marvel movies cannot be infinitely successful. There will be a point at which we've kind of grown bored with them. There's no such thing as a sure hit, surefire hit when it comes to movies and franchises. But obviously, there is less risk in some areas. All of this is about evolution. All of this is about businesses trying to stay relevant. Whether we're talking about a razor blade manufacturer or the creators of Spider-Man. That is what Neon does best, mashing together bits of history, disparate areas, and hopefully entertaining you. If you enjoyed this, please don't forget to give us a review on whatever app you're listening to this on. Continue the conversation with us. We're neonpodcast.com. That's the website, Neon Podcast on Twitter, Facebook. If you want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter, and I'm History Gems with a G on Facebook. I've got a community page there. Thank you very much for listening. More podcasts coming out soon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 